What does it mean to be a good friend? Um, good friends means you're a unicorn friend. That's what you use to be a friend. Is being a friend sharing your toys? Uh huh. Right here. So if you play a toy, and that means it's moving time. You just do it like this. I like to move and move it. I like to move and move it. I like to move and move it. I like to move it. And that's when you sing along with your friends. What's up, folks? This is Wesley Wade, and this is the first season of my podcast, Peace, Love, Power. That voice you just heard was my three-year-old daughter, and um, I'm thinking when she gets older, she ever gets a chance to hear this, she's uh, probably not going to be too happy that I recorded her saying that. But uh, what's been fun for me as a dad of a young child is watching her grow. And getting to see this young person play and develop friendships. And it's gotten me thinking more about the value of friendship. I'm a 37-year-old black male. I've grown up in the South for most of my life. I'm also a licensed professional counselor, a certified clinical mental health counselor, a licensed clinical addiction specialist, and I'm a career counselor at one of the local universities. And through my clinical work, as well as working with my students, this impact of friendship and this idea of friendship, it pops up over and over and over again. So in the first season of this podcast, that's what we're going to do. We're going to explore the concept of friendship. What impact does friendship have on our development throughout our lives, specifically our mental health? What role do friendships play in our ability to process the world around us and communicate our feelings? And what defines a healthy friendship anyway? We're going to chop it up with some experts in the field of psychology and relational cultural therapy. We're going to get into some deep conversations with some of my friends and some other folks. And we're going to see what conclusions we come up with and how these conclusions can be applied to our lives and what they really mean. So for now... I just want you to start taking a deep breath, go in and out, and I probably wouldn't be a good counselor if I didn't work in some kind of mindfulness there, right? So with that deep breath, just let it out. Relax if you're on your drive or you're at home or in your office or wherever you listen to podcasts, and just take a moment prepare yourself to go a little bit deeper and we're going to start this journey together this is peace love power I think our friendships are automatically kind of drawn to people that you have some kind of likeness with. 
Um, and then, of course, it can get deeper than that. Someone who you would define as a friend is someone who knows the uncurated version of yourself. It's that authentic person that you don't have to fake your way to a good day. They know, you know, they, they see you're comfortable sharing the ugly um, and they're not going to judge you for that. You know, I think a friendship is that, that relationship that has gone beyond an acquaintance that you've either found a mutual interest or a mutual event that uh, you now become invested emotionally with the person uh, and are willing to go beyond just what may be a, an encounter or a conversation uh, to more of living life together. Uh, and then the deeper the friendship goes, the more you're willing to self-sacrifice and invest in that person, really to walk them through anything that may come through life. I was 16, we met in high school, and here we are, you know, 38 years old, and we're still super tight. Um, and I think that relationship, friendship, has taught me, like, a good friend, too, is someone that you can grow with. Women in general, there's so much pressure on us to curate a version of ourselves for public consumption, mm -hmm. whether it's a, being a professional woman, whether it's being a mom, but you know, what, whatever your role is, there's sort of a, this is how it's supposed to look. The two words that came to mind for me were um, just love and intimacy. And like, I don't know. I, th I think that's just, even just hearing what everyone was saying, like, you know, sharing good times, bad times with someone that you, you know, feel comfortable with being yourself. Uh, this will be a little, maybe a deviation. It's funny, when you initially asked the question, I was like, <laughs> I didn't know what to say and I felt a little uncomfortable. I think why that is is because sometimes I don't know if I'm the best friend to my friends. Because when I go through difficult times, I tend to recede and to isolate. And I know that there are probably certain times with my friends where I haven't been there for them because dealing with my own stuff. So I'm honestly not sure. I, I've, I hope that my friends would think that I'm a good friend, that I'm supportive and, and caring about them. Well, let me be clear. You are a great friend, brother. I love you, man. That's my guy. I love you, dude. Um, let's talk about what we just heard a little bit. So, two things. One... Those voices are friends of mine. We are all part of a group called Racial Harmony in Christ. That group was born out of the 2016 election of Donald Trump. And there's some other folks in that group, too. Later in this pilot season about friendships, we are going to dive deeper into that group and talk to some folks. Because cultivating dynamic, healthy, diverse friendships are important. Period. Period. Right. So uh, the second thing is, let's pull some of the themes that we're hearing from these amazing representations of what it means to be a friend and what a great friendship looks like. So when I listened to those voices, I heard that friends are complex. Friendships are complex. They have depth. They have room for emotional growth. They're worthy of investment. They can be different for women. And they allow us to let the ugly hang. Y'all. We about to let the ugly hang. Like, that should be the sub-theme for this whole podcast. Peace, love, power. Let the ugly hang. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty. 
for this first uh, few episodes, the way we're going to start to approach this concept of friendship, we're going to start with black women and black men. That does not mean that other groups aren't important. Why am I going to start there? I'm a black man. I'm a black man who grew up in the South. I'm married to a black woman. I'm raising a young black woman. My mama's a black woman. My dad is a black man. (laughs) Right? Um, I see the interesting and unique dynamics that my race and gender play into my friendships as well as those of my partners. Right? And we're going to start there and we're going to go into other people's experience to hear their interesting and unique dynamics as well. Right? So, for this episode and the second episode, we're going to start by educating ourselves. Just because I'm a counselor and I have thousands upon thousands, probably over 7,000 hours of counseling experience at this point. Side note, this is my second career. That'll be mentioned later on. But roughly about 7,000 hours plus of counseling experience in clinical mental health, substance abuse, and career counseling. And... Yeah, I've talked about friendships a lot. I'm licensed. I'm trained in this area. I know that friendships are an important part of our support network, but I need to educate myself more in this space. I need to know more. So what do we do when we need to know more? We read. We talk to experts. In these first two episodes, we're going to talk to experts. We're going to talk to Dr. Enrique Neblet, and we're also going to talk to Dr. 2B. Yeah, I'm claiming it. Dr. 2B, Brittany Wake, a.k.a. Dr. West Coast. Uh, She's a powerhouse in our doctoral program, and she practices relational cultural therapy, which operates from the relational cultural theory framework, and it cements the fact that healthy, dynamic relationships are important for the development of any human. If you want to develop and you want to be healthy, you want your children to develop well, They need good friendships. We need good friendships. That's what this is about. So for episode one right here, we're going to start with a conversation with Dr. Enrique Neblet. This is my parody of comedians in cars getting coffee. Therapists in moderately priced vehicles getting beer. So Dr. Enrique Neblet and I, who's a really good friend of mine, by the way, we're riding in my 2013 Nissan Pathfinder. So so moderately right? and uh, we're riding we're gonna get beer there's a little extra noise uh, I'm not gonna lie because I'm still learning this whole podcast game but it's a great conversation enjoy we're gonna come back unpack and then we'll move on to episode two let's get it So I am trained as a clinical psychologist. Um, I did my doctoral work in uh, clinical psychology and um, have been uh, interested for a long time in understanding um, racism and racial discrimination and um, how it affects uh, mental health and also have had a, a particular focus in understanding youth population, so African-American youth in particular, adolescents and young people, like young adults. Uh, and so my professional training is in psychology, uh, in clinical psychology. I recently have transitioned to 
um, a faculty position at the University of Michigan where I'm in the School of Public Health there. And um, so I do research centered around, uh, you know, racism as a, a public health issue and um, still mix that when I can with, uh, you know, psychology research as well. Right. So all very light topics. In terms of uh, some of the research you've done, you and I were talking about this earlier tonight. When it comes to friendships or support networks, what what do you know about that at this current point in time? Like, how does relationships, whether it's friendships or the people inside our support network, how does that impact our mental health? Well, I haven't done a lot of work in my own research on uh, friendships and, and social networks, but um, what I what I know as a you know as a, a mental health uh, professional is that um, social support and being connected is is really important. That folks who are connected socially have uh, better mental health outcomes. We know um, that it's it's not only mental health that benefits, but physical health. People who are well connected live longer. Uh, actually have better disease outcomes and I I think you know even though that's not mental health explicitly I think some of the psychological effects of of friendships and uh, and and the mental health effects actually translate into benefiting your physical health if that makes sense does make sense um, you were talking specifically about some study, I don't know if it was yours or someone else's, where you were looking at a group of individuals, I don't know if what gender breakdown was, but I'm assuming it was African Americans, and the quality of those relationships that they had, and they were ranking the quality of those relationships in terms of was it resilience, like how resilient they were to racism and discrimination? Or could you talk yes. about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a couple years ago, we did a study where we were looking at um, how racism experiences, how discrimination affects folks' mental health. These were African-American young adults. So most of the sample was, you know, somewhere between 18 and, and 22. And we asked them a couple of things. Um, there's a well-known uh, measure of kind of like friendships and social support. We asked them, you know, list up to nine of your closest friends, um, and then we want you to tell us how satisfied you are with these friendships in terms of overall support, okay? And we, we kind of had two questions. We were trying to figure out like what's most important does it matter like how many friends you have like the number or is it how satisfied you are with those friendships um particularly when you experience racism and discrimination um, because we know that in general the more discrimination you experience you, you tend to have more anxiety more distress right. uh, more depression symptoms etc so um, what we found in the study is actually that um, social support satisfaction, how satisfied you were with the friends you have, was a really important factor in terms of reducing some of the negative effects of discrimination. Um, it didn't matter if you had like 
one friend that you listed as a close friend or nine friends, what really mattered was how satisfied you were with the quality of those friendships. Wow. So you could have someone who listed eight or nine close friends, but if they listed that they weren't particularly satisfied with those relationships, they were negatively affected. They had higher levels of like anxiety and depressive symptoms um, than folks who had like one or two friends, but said, you know what, I really am satisfied. I really feel like these are um, quality friendships and I feel really satisfied with, with the, 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 the friends that I've listed here. Wow, so that's really significant because we know that racism negatively impacts health outcomes, right? I mean, you've said that. I mean, that's been well-established through your research and other people's findings as well, right? So we know that this is a reality. Um, We know that whether it's overt, systemic, however it's presented, uh, people of color, specifically black people in this example, are experiencing these things. It's increasing rates of anxiety, depression, any other mental health issues that they may be presenting with as well. Yep. Yep. But if they have relationships that they deem as like high quality relationships or status, I guess satisfactory is not really the way to categorize it, but it doesn't matter about the quantity of it. It only matters about the quality, which I I find kind of surprising because from a practitioner standpoint, as a clinician, I'm looking for how many of these relationships someone is having. But what you're saying is, yeah, from what you've seen, they could have one. If it's a high quality relationship, um, it's going to have a positive impact on their resiliency towards these things. Yeah, that's what we found. And if you think about it, I was just thinking about it in the context of being a, a clinician. Like you might think, wow, someone's having a hard time. They're experiencing all these stressors and focus the the intervention or working with someone on increasing their social network. But what the research that we did is suggesting is that it's less important the number and more important how satisfied. And so from that point, you, you might approach how you work with that person a little bit differently instead of getting them connected to lots of people, making sure that the people they are connected to, they, they really feel like are, you know, quality, satisfying relationships. Right. If that makes sense. Right. Now, yeah, that does make sense. So from my perspective as a clinician, this is helpful because now I can say, all right, if they do have at least one of these strong relationships that's quality and I can work with this client to understand what quality means for them. Um, then that's going to have a strong impact. The other piece that I'm thinking of, if I'm sitting down one-on-one, I'm talking to this imaginary client in front of me, is one. if it's only one relationship, there's a level of fragility built into that because anything could happen to that person. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, uh, God forbid, but that person could, you know, get ill, drop dead, get in an accident, or any sorts of things like that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if it is one relationship while that uh, one quality relationship might help to reduce these stressors it is it's a fragile state to be in because it's dependent on that one thing yes 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 cool i think you know there's another piece that that i actually found even more interesting than, than what i just told you and that is 
we were also interested in, in kind of like the toll of discrimination on social support. Like, would it matter if I experience a high level of discrimination, would that negatively impact how many friends I had, um, you know, down the line? Would that affect how satisfied I felt about my relationships? Mm. Um, and what we actually found was that in that case, the, the number mattered more than the satisfaction. So the more discrimination you experience, we actually found that the students had fewer friends a semester later and that those folks who had fewer friends actually had worse mental health outcomes a semester after that. So in other words, the amount of discrimination you experience was related to your mental health. So more anxiety and more distress about two semesters later and that happened as a result of your numbers of friends actually decreasing in between those two time points. So in other words, there's something happens where your friendship network, the more discrimination you experience, actually decreases. Are you following me? Yeah, I am. And then we don't know, is, is do people withdraw or become more isolated as a function of experiencing discrimination and you we 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 do know that being connected to folks is related to to mental health outcomes right um so for from from my point of view what was concerning about this is stressors like discrimination um you know can take a toll where it decreases the num the number of social connections you have and then over time that's linked to worse mental health outcomes right so this really cements the impact that discrimination can have, racism, bigotry can have on someone, right? Yeah. So while there's this piece of resiliency there from these quality relationships, if you're continually, continually being bombarded with discrimination, then it's also going to reduce for a variety of reasons, reduce the amount of those relationships, right? So if you were that person with one, that one relationship could be gone. That's right. Um, and so in that study, you don't really know who those people's relationships were with. You just knew that they had them, right? No, we actually know who they were with because we asked them, uh, you know, tell us who this, who this person is. Okay. In the study we did, we didn't analyze that yet. We only looked at numbers irrespective of who the people were. And, um, again, the, the, the satisfaction. But if we wanted to, we could go back in and code like, okay, of these five people, how many of them were family members or parents? How many were like, you know, peers? How many were, like a coach, you know, or, you know, we have the ability because we did ask the folks, tell us who, who these people are. Do you know the racial makeup of the friends? That we do not know. Cause that would be interesting, right? Especially when we think about this age of our current president and, you know, it's been written about in scholarly articles as well as just, you know, lay articles, whether it's Washington Post, New York Times or wherever, you know, there's been a large exodus of African-Americans from Christian churches mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. 
They go to these multicultural churches where you and I went to one at one point in time. And for whatever set of reasons, it's, you know, you don't feel comfortable anymore. I mean, that was part of my own exodus from the church that I was going to. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it could be you have a relationship with a specific person. Maybe that person's white. Maybe they're not. They could be anything. But you start to find out through this deep alliance with, you know, bigoted policy views of separating families or whatever that's going to be and however you view that, but that's how I view it. Um, you might view this as, okay, this is, this is the end to that relationship. It could be something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. This yeah, is, yeah, yeah, no, we definitely, I mean, I, I'm one of the things I'm sorry we, we didn't have was what the race, um, makeup of the friends was. And we always talked about how that would be, exactly what you said, like a a good next step that would provide even more information. Um, There's a lot of, um, it's not my area of expertise, but you're probably familiar with like um, people doing social network analysis. Mm -hmm. And I think they look at all those fine tune, you know, the racial composition, uh, you know, unfortunately, as, as you allude to um, my, my sense is that people's networks tend to be, more monoracial than not. Right. Um, but we know that's not true for everyone. Right. No, it's not true for everyone. And I, I know you and I would always joke. I mean, we've been friends for a while. would always joke around. At least I would always joke around that I am a lot of people's black friend. Right. <laughs> I was just talking to some folks about that today. Um, and I don't know why this always comes up for me specifically, but for a lot of people, I am their black, their black friend. friend. <laughs> um, and now maybe that's because of the stuff I grew up doing and the environments I was in. I don't know. But yeah, I, my social network is very racially heterogeneous. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. However, when I think about some of the research that I've seen in social networks, when you look at the majority of white people in the United States, their social networks are largely homogenous when you're talking about race, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a very small amount of not just black people, but people who aren't white in their groups, right? And yeah, um, I don't, and, and what I had saw, I mean, it's been years, but what I have seen on that for the um, black folks that they were looking at, it was, it wasn't, um, you know, astronomically higher, but it was definitely higher in terms of the diversity within um, their social networks f- from a racial standpoint. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then, you know, even thinking about that, I think about other layers of intersectionality, like, okay, well, you know, if we're talking about a black male specifically or a white male specifically, like, l- let's look at how complex some of those structures get like how many women are there Mm -hmm. how many of these people are cisgendered how many of these people are part of the lgbtq community or whatever Mm -hmm. right how many Mm -hmm. of them have a disability (laughs) or anything like that yep that would be interesting to look at as well when we're talking about the impact of friendships and how diverse people's friendship groups are and things too absolutely okay cool let's go get a beer all right for joining me thank you dr enrique neville love you brother your work is dope 
Um, I'm so excited I was able to have you on this very first episode of the podcast. Please do know there will be more therapists and moderately priced cars getting beer because Dr. Nevlet will be on some episodes later in this podcast as well. Episode two, we're going to have Dr. 2B, still claiming it, Brittany Wake, talking about relational cultural theory and what that says about the importance of developing friendships in our lives. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this, share it with someone. If you didn't, email me. The website is peace-love-power.com. The email address is on there. You can follow the podcast on Twitter as well at PLP underscore podcast. Thank you. Looking forward to it. And my name is Wesley Wade, and this was Peace, Love, Power.